Hey, y'all. This podcast is brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. As always, Mississippi Land Bank, supporting the podcast and supporting you as a listener. So let them know you appreciate it at mslandbank.com. And the big thing is, if you're ever in the need for land, you're going to build that dream home, or maybe it's recreational stuff, hunting. Maybe it's farmland, obviously. Well, that's where you want to go in North Mississippi is to Mississippi Land Bank. Trust me on that. And also, sponsoring this podcast, Jubilations Cheesecake in West Point. We've tell you a lot about them and all the different ways that uh, you can you know, help them and they can help you, and including if you have a fundraiser. Next time that it's time to hit the streets and go out and sell things for that fundraiser, you really ought to consider Jubilations Cheesecake. Great product. Tastes great. People love to you know, buy those. It'll be profitable for your fundraiser, and Jubilations wants it to be that way. They they make it so that it can be profitable for you, and they help you out, print your sales sheets for you, do all that kind of stuff, ship it for you. So um, check them out next time. It's fundraiser time in your neck of the woods. Jubilations Cheesecake in West Point. Look them up online at jubilations.com. Where's the broom, Brett? Brett, you got a broom in your hand right now at this very moment? Did you do any sweeping yourself this weekend? Or not necessary because the Bulldogs did all the sweeping anybody needs. I think my wife would probably appreciate if I had a broom in my hand right now. You really should do that, you know, every now and then. Pick up some slack, you know? Yeah, I, I should, but I, uh, <laughs> I'm more of a dishwasher oh, guy. Oh. I'm more of a unload the dishwasher type. Hey, um, let me just tell you, of all the impressive things that I saw this weekend – uh, a lot of it from you on Twitter. Maybe the most impressive thing I saw was um, you captured the guy who was using a folding chair as a an umbrella <laughs> slash rain blocker. That was incredible. Yeah, that was uh, that was fantastic. It was it was one of those deals where basically all weekend you had to look up at the uh, at the stadium lights to see rain coming down when it when it did start coming down. Um, it was just one of those weekends, so I'm kind of always looking over at the crowd to my left. Yeah. Um, you just kind of people watch, and there's that there's that deal with the folding chair. And I like to <laughs> I like to someone who noticed that uh, that that guy was in like a blazer <laughs> of some kind. He was like, "What did this guy have to leave his Excel spreadsheet meeting and come straight to the ballpark?" <laughs> hey, but didn't they have graduation though? Couldn't it have been graduation related? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I pulled up the picture. This guy's in like a, a tan blazer of of some kind and a classic light blue dress shirt. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he uh, – I mean, he could have just easily gone in the concourse, right? Yeah. If he didn't want to get that blazer wet or sure. his hair wet because that blazer's not doing anything for – anything but his head. <laughs> what a disaster, that guy. Yeah, he's, something He's else. the prophet of our generation, though, yeah. I think. He's <laughs> – He's trying to he's trying to take humanity to places it has never been before. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I well, think what he's that's what he's trying to do. You know, I mean, I I'll be honest. I get it. If if you're, let's just say you're wearing an article of clothing and you're really proud of it, and maybe it is something that is made of a certain type of material that you can't get it wet. Okay, you know, I mean, I I, I guess I get that. But I also, Brad, I'll be honest with you, like. Every day goes by, I realize how old I am and getting older by the day. But it's like I come from a generation of you would a lot of times you're like, this is not the kind of rain I have to cover my head in. Like I'm a I'm a 
you know, I'm a broad-shouldered dude here. And I, and if it's not absolutely pouring down rain, I just don't need an umbrella. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it's like the save face sort of thing. Like you don't want any And I mean in that situation, if it's not raining hard, just stand there and get wet, you know? Yeah. That's really but you know, enough of my uh, enough of my machismo, nobody cares, I guess. No, I thought I thought it was funny. Uh, and Twitter seemed to Seemed to love it, um, but it was it was it was interesting yeah. uh, for sure. That was <laughs> that was a fun part of the uh, of the weekend. But I'm sure our dogpile listeners had had fun with the events on the field. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State swept Ole Miss uh, on the weekend series for the second time in third years. They pulled a four nothing regular season sweep of Ole Miss, including. The Governor's Cup game. They won two to nothing, eight to five, and eleven and five. Mississippi State is now forty-two and ten, eighteen and nine in SEC play. Um, uh, RPI updated this morning. They're number three in RPI, and and something that I posted in in full. I wrote in full count, which we'll probably post later Monday. So those of you that get on the podcast immediately. Probably have to wait until the afternoon to see full count. But those of you that had to wait a few hours to get to it, it's probably up uh, on the site at mattwhitemedia.com, the Hudson Report blog, or on my Twitter feed at Brett underscore Hudson. So check it out sometime Monday afternoon. But something I'm I'm writing in full count after we record this podcast is I, I think they locked up the national top eight seed. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's I think it's undeniable that they're one of the top eight teams in the country. And I would be flabbergasted if the NCAA selection committee doesn't treat them as such after everything they've done to this point, And then having a weekend like this at the end of the year, I don't think it's even up for debate anymore. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on that. And, you know, part of it, Brett, I think kind of goes back to some stuff we talked about on the last podcast is the, you know the stellar record in the midweek, and 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 still that is not completely with a bow on it because you have a midweek game this week that's been added. But you know, being perfect in the midweek, best overall record in the SEC for whatever that's worth, and then you know sitting there as one of the top, you know, a game back of Arkansas, uh, what would be what two games back of Vandy for the overall SEC, yeah. but but overall a half game better than Vandy in terms of. And right now, State's got the longest winning streak going in the SEC at five games. They've won five straight. And let's see, mm-hmm. the only one close to that is Tennessee's won two straight. You know, State's got a long winning <laughs> streak. And so, yeah, um, I agree with you. And, and yeah, I'll be honest, I'm not a, an RPI expert. I mean, I can look at it and read it just like anybody else. But the people who really do follow it closely and project it out – you know, Cahill at Baseball America and Rogers at D1 Baseball, and they're all saying kind of the same thing you're saying is that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, there'll be, a, you know, a national seed when the top eight comes out. And I think the way they did it was was interesting. Um, and I mean specific specific to this weekend, the the way they did it, because it wasn't it wasn't one of those weekends where you can – Look at the three box scores from the games and say, oh, this person went eight for 14 with nine RBI, a couple of homers, and that's how, and that's how this, was, this was done. This one person more or less beat this team or this one thing 
beat this team by itself over the an entire week. And it was a bunch of small things from a bunch of different players that that made this weekend happen. And I, we can dive into that player by player, but I, I think as I'm as I'm kind of working through that thought, that's a different way of something you said when we talked on the phone yesterday as I was driving back from from Oxford, if you want to share that thought with with the listener, I thought it was a, a good way of putting it. Okay, so what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you, you basically you basically said it was um oh what it, it was indicative or not indicative it was representative of what yes okay. Mississippi State has done all year long and that they just put pressure on teams. Okay, yeah, I mean that's kind of what I was you know just uh, thinking out loud as you and I talked on the phone is that. Watching the three games, you felt like State went up there on the road and they just were themselves, right? Like yes, like yes. throughout, like on the mound, starting pitching, bullpen, throughout the lineup. State, you know, you think about the whole Dennis Green. They are who we thought they were. State was who they have been all year long, and that is one through nine, they put pressure on you. They don't do a bunch of stupid stuff at the plate. They don't chase pitches out of the zone. They take a great two-strike approach at the plate. And starting pitching, throw strikes, Small was himself. You know, Ginn didn't have his best outing on Saturday because he was getting behind early in counts. And, um, but it, throughout, State just puts pressure on you to play well. Teams that have played well or really well against State have won a few games. But I just, you know, State was themselves. I felt like they just continually put pressure on Ole Miss because they were so consistent in in the way they did everything. I mean, outside of kicking it around a little bit in that second game on defense uh, and in the field. And I, at the same time, I kind of expected Ole Miss – to be better. Not that they necessarily played horrible. They didn't. But they also didn't play very well. Ole Miss didn't. You know what I'm saying? And State just went in there and was like, look, we're just going to play good baseball. And, Brett, I'll wrap it up, the the thought with this. I had Chris Lamonis on my radio show on Thursday of last week, so the mm-hmm. day before the series began. And I asked him, I said, you know, what's the message to your team with this rivalry thing and it's on the road? What are you telling them? He said, I'm just telling them, go play good baseball. So, and, and when he elaborated, it was like the message was this. Go be yourself, block everything else out, and when you come away from the weekend, you want to look back and say, we were sharp and focused, and we just played good, solid baseball for three straight days. Yep. And that's what they did. It put pressure on Ole Miss, and frankly, Ole Miss just didn't look very good. They didn't. No, it's that's a good way of putting it. That's why I wanted you to, to repeat it here because and there, there's just so many different ways that you can break it down in terms of Mississippi State just being itself. And if you if you run through a few of them, um, for, first of all, Tanner Allen being feast or famine, and this yeah. was definitely feast. I, I, I labeled him. Feaster, Famine, Allen in a full count post a few weeks ago. Uh, I can't remember. That just seems to be <laughs> his good. his hitting profile. And he was he was definitely feast uh, this week. He had three hits and two RBI in that Friday game. Uh, had a hit with two RBI in that Saturday game. Then three hits with an RBI 
in that Sunday game. He's now hitting, I think, 330 on on the year. Let me mm-hmm. double check that. 322, actually, hitting 322 okay. uh, for the year after that weekend, slugging 488 with an on-base percentage of 412. He's He had it this week. And we talked to him, I think it was after the Friday game, because uh, because you got to remember with with Tanner he was he was in a famine stretch there for a little while. If you start with the second game of the Georgia series, uh, so if you start if you take those five games from the second two of the Georgia series and the three games in College Station, I think he went two for twelve. No, two for sixteen. Two oh. for sixteen stretch mm-hmm. um, for for Tanner Allen there. So he was. He was battling it a little bit. His batting average fell from 308 to 293. And then he went four for four in that midweek game against Memphis, three for four to start the Ole Miss series. Batting average is back up to 322 after two three hit games in a three three game series. And we talked to him on Friday after he went three for four. And he said his primary adjustment was to hit the top of the baseball to get over the ball and kind of drive contact into it that way. Uh, he, he said he recounted a conversation he had with Rowdy Jordan where he said holes are on the ground. They aren't in the air. Um, I, I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. Now he obviously drove the ball for power uh, this weekend. So he wasn't just spraying ground balls through holes in the infield and, and putting up single after single after single. He was putting a charge. Yeah. And into a lot of balls. So I don't know that he's turning himself into a ground ball hitter. I just think that was kind of a simple swing thought for him that was able to get him back into a, a groove to a point where he doesn't have to think his way through the game anymore. He can just give himself a simple thing to focus on, react to what he sees and, and do what he does best, which is hit the baseball and hit it hard. Uh, but he was, he was a big part of it this weekend. I thought that was one way that, that Mississippi State did what you said and did and just kind of played into that, uh, I guess, the played into the idea that you've presented that they were just themselves this yeah. weekend. They didn't have to be anything different or anything more than that to do this to Ole Miss. Yeah. So, you know, a, a different angle on the Allen thing. In the first and third games, if you just look at uh, Friday and Sunday, Allen was six for eight at the plate and drove in three runs with a double mixed in. There. Yeah. So, you know, he's one for five in the second game of the series and other guys kind of pick up the slack and that one hit. Um, I'm tr- I can't picture it, but he, but it, well, that one hit, he drove in two runs throughout the course yep. of the game. That's the thing. Yep. So he did damage even on a day where he only comes away with one hit, but in the, in the bookend games, one games, three, he was six for eight in those two games. So just huge at the plate. And, you know, Brett, the other thing is momentum. The the grabbing momentum, the setting the tone in a series and it all happening in game one. I think there is something to that in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Like if I were to make a football parallel, if you're on the road in the SEC – and there's a huge fan base in the stands ready to chew you up and spit you out if they can get an opportunity to get loud. Yet, you're the road team and you go in there and you're up 14 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. All of a sudden, 
because of when the scores happened, it was a whole lot more important. Those 14 points early were a whole lot more important than those 14 points if it happened late in the game. You know what I'm saying? Because of the momentum factor. So in baseball, there's a reason you put your best player on the mound on Fridays, right? Yeah. Because there's it's all about how you're going to start this thing. And so when you have Ethan Small on the mound on a Friday night when they cannot hit him, and there's no telling what the game winds up for him if you don't have a fog delay mixed in there. I'm going to get your thoughts on that in a second. Oh, my God. <laughs> but But hold on. But I'm saying he still – he throws five innings and strikes out ten guys. Ethan was as dominant. And on top of that, this is game one of this series, on the road in front of their fan base. They're ready to chew you up and spit you out if they get a chance. And Tanner Allen goes out and goes three for four and drives in two runs and has a big double mixed in there also. So I felt like as big as Ethan Small's performance was in the first game of the series, I felt like Tanner Allen's night – was equally as big because it set a tone and his swings, I think, on Friday really sent this ripple throughout the team and and gave his teammates confidence. Now well, what it does is it it just adds to the avalanche that has to be playing Mississippi State for for Ole Miss at this point. Now I don't cover Ole Miss. I don't talk to people at Ole Miss. I don't have any connections there. I don't know this for a fact, but when you come into this weekend having lost what? Wait, having lost what? 11 of the last 13? Yeah. Against mm-hmm. this rival? The, uh-huh. Having just seen them beat you in the Governor's Cup game a few weeks ago? There's got to be a little bit of a monkey on the back for, for Ole Miss baseball playing Mississippi State right now. And if if you see something like that, if you see Tanner Allen – drive in the two runs that beat you in a two to nothing game. Mm-hmm. And you go through all the theatrics of the rain delay and then the fog delay, it, more or less explicitly to chase Ethan small off the mound. And then Jared Lee belt comes in and throws a four inning save three hits, no runs, two K's uh, allows three base runners in, uh, in four innings. Uh-huh. I just don't know how that doesn't have a profound mental impact on your baseball team when when you're dealing with something like that because you've already historically struggled against this team and everyone's aware of it. So you're probably pressing, whether you want to or not, self subconsciously, you're probably pressing and attempting to play out of yourself in a situation like that anyway. Mm-hmm. And then when something like that happens in, in the first game, I, I think there is some – there is something to be said to to that point. So so I agree with you. Now, uh, why did you have to trigger me with that? I'm ball sorry, play? he's triggered, you, boys and you girls. You just had to, didn't you? All right, hold on. All right, so, Brett, give me your honest opinion, unfiltered take. Oh oh, unfiltered. This this could get all rated. <laughs> well, we're gonna edit it, so don't worry about it. <laughs> it's not live. All right, so give me your unfiltered take on a fifth-inning fog delay for half an hour? Well, first of all, um, what, what, what was weird about it okay. was if you go into a fog delay, you know what? Fine. It, it, it's, it's very foggy. It's <laughs> kind of hard to see. Yeah. And we, we talked to Tanner Allen after that game, and he said there was one pop-up 
where he looked at Ump and in in a way that only Tanner Allen could could say it. He looked at the Ump and said, uh, "Mr. Blue, I didn't see that one." And and he was like, "You didn't?" And Tanner was like, "No, I didn't." And and the Ump was like, "Good, because I didn't see it either." Um, so it was cloudy out, foggy out there. Mm, although yeah. Tanner also said that the outfielders could see the ball fine. So if they can see a fly ball fine, that's kind of all that matters considering infielders don't typically have to deal with a, with, uh, with pop-ups in, in volume. Uh, uh, but that's all of that is neither here nor there. Yeah. Here's what drove me crazy about the fog delay. It was the fact that you put a set amount of time on it. Mm-hmm. You, you said at the beginning, it's going to be a 30 minute fog delay. That's not how fog works. <laughs> yeah. That is not how fog works ever. <laughs> when you look at a radar and and you get the consultation of a legitimately good meteorologist, you can look at radar and Doppler and see rainstorms move out and you can kind of get a good idea as to when rain will be either completely gone or light enough that you can play baseball in it. So if you have a rain delay, like they did at the beginning of the game, right? They have a rain delay, and they automatically postponed it one hour, then yeah. postponed it another hour on top of that, which is another good way to trigger me, <laughs> to remind me that they did that. Um, but in a rain situation, that makes sense. Fog? What? Yeah. <laughs> y- y'all, got, y'all got some sort of fancy machine <laughs> that can make you get rid of fog in 30 minutes? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like, uh-huh. Fog it. it Fog literally, by definition, fog sits there. <laughs> it doesn't move. It doesn't move like a storm. It sits yeah. there. Yeah. That is the definition of fog. <laughs> so, Brett, what was the alternative? Should it have been a thing of we are in an indefinite fog delay? Well, first of all, it probably shouldn't have been delayed. Okay. Because if the outfielders can see fly balls and the batters can see the ball coming out of the pitcher's hand. Yeah. That's probably okay. good enough to play baseball. What about right? the what about the timing of it? Of it it came down what after after state was at the plate? Is that what Yes. It was? So state hit in in that fog, but then they went they go out in, in the field and Ethan Small's taking the mound for for a sixth inning at the time. He's only allowed three hits and a walk, ten strikeouts in five innings. Yeah. Do with that what you will. Uh and done it in eighty two pitches. So he's the way he's pitching at that point in time, it's not outlandish to suggest he could go at least seven. Yeah. And in that regard, Ethan actually said after the game how long he could have gone um, if if not for that fog delay killing his start. And he said all of them uh, to, to a yeah. chorus of laughter from from us in the uh, <laughs> on the beat. But uh, yeah, the the timing of it, and I think I think state fans on Twitter saw saw right through it. That was that was one way for. For Mississippi, for Ole Miss, excuse me, to uh, to kill Ethan Small's pretty successful start to that point in time, and and it was successful. But then I saw Jared Lee Belt coming out of the bullpen. I was like, ooh, I'm not sure that that's really an improvement for you guys. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, he shut him down. Right, man. Small and Lee Belt combined for 12 strikeouts and one walk, no runs. And then you know, Small, that's it. Five innings, he gets 10 strikeouts. So he. Every eight pitches, he recorded a strikeout on average in his in his start. You look at that, right? Ten Ks and and eighty two total pitches. Yep. So every eighth pitch is a sit down. 
It's just um, he was on fire, and it and and it's true. I mean, it was bad timing, and it was the right move to not trot him back out there after that long delay. That was the right it was. move. So it was, and it was it was also uh, it was also smart gamesmanship from from the the folks at from Bianco and and crew to uh, to try to chase Small off the mound. I mean, I'm not. I don't hate it from a baseball perspective. I hate it from a my life perspective. <laughs> That's where I hate it. Like you, this game was delayed by rain for two hours <laughs> to start, and then we're going to hit up a fog delay yeah. uh, for half an hour, 30, and then thirty minutes. They they come on the PA system at roughly at the end of that half hour delay and say the game's going to start up in about in about twenty minutes. The game started back in five minutes. <laughs> oh, that's great. So I'm I'm kind of oscillating mm-hmm. all over the place. Ain't nobody got any idea what's what's <laughs> going on. Uh, but you know what? It's it's May. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's time for for Mississippi State baseball to get stupid. It is yeah, it is officially yeah. stupid season. And I, I think I think this weekend was was the first evidence of that of stupid season being underway. Hey, um, Brett, I got a question for you real quick. Do it. Um, yesterday's game, the 11-5 to win yeah. to complete the sweep. Skelton goes three for five, drives in a run. Did he have two hits in that one big inning? He two. may have. I've actually got the uh, – What was the it, the seventh? Up right here. So he was – he singled? Yes. It was a fourth. Yes. He So uh, Foskey and Rowdy started that inning by – by being retired, so they did all their damage with two outs. Amazing in that inning. Then Skelton got it started with a single. Uh, he was ultimately brought in by a Marshall Gilbert single, mm-hmm. and then he came up. Looks like with runners on, maybe second and third or first and second. Yeah, and then had a single that scored Rowdy. So yeah, he he was the RBI for the final of those nine runs. So yes. Skelton had had two hits in one half inning. <laughs> he sure did, and it was both of them with two outs. Yep. You know, if if this were Major League Baseball, there'd be some weird statistician in a closet at ESPN somewhere who's keeping up with that and and is ready with it. But like historically, how many people have gotten two two out hits in the same half inning? Now think about that. We're out here batting around with two outs. I mean, that's that's super rare, you know. And that yeah. was a huge uh, nine run inning. It's funny. So I, I tweeted out the list of um of a of two out abs from state in that inning with like three or four hits left. Like yeah. I didn't even include the final two ish hits or so in that rally because they continued going on after the point that I thought it was inevitable this thing ends and then it mm-hmm. it never did. And I I'd like to stand for myself for yeah. a second. Okay. Because you know what happened in that nine run top of the fourth? They intentionally walked Jake Mangum. <laughs> How many times do I have to tell you people? <laughs> How many times? Yeah. Stop doing that. Mm-hmm. It never works. Well never. they they intentionally walk him to load the bos- the bases, load the bases. Load the and then bases. They the next two dudes they face. I know, and then bring a and make a pitching change. And Phillips walks the next two guys. Walk two runs in. I mean, that's that's embarrassing, right there. That's y'all y'all got to stop intentionally walking Jake Mangum. It drives me crazy. <laughs> 
17 hits in a game. Hey, Brett, I want to do something here. I'm going to pause just for a second on the baseball. Uh, a word from our sponsors, and then I just got a text as we're recording. I just got a text from a friend of mine who's a big baseball guy with a question that I want to I want to know your answer to this question. Okay. Um, and it is obviously about Mississippi State. But let's pause real quick. Just a reminder, Mississippi Land Bank, um, sticking their neck out for us and putting the Dogpile podcast on your phone for you twice a week. And um, they're a big supporter, always have been a big supporter of mine, and I'm really proud of them. I've known the people for a lot of years, and they are the kind of folks that I don't mind at all sending you their way. And so anything land-related, if you're listening, you're a Dogpile listener, make sure you start with Mississippi Land Bank, and online you can find them at mslandbank.com. Also, Jubilations Cheesecake in West Point, George, and the folks I'm sitting here, Brad. I'm a week late, but I got it. We, we were going to give away a cheesecake. I told you about it last week. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get a plan together and start giving away a, a cheesecake to a lucky listener every now and then. We'll do that later this week. But y'all hit them up at jubilations.com, and you can find Jubilations Cheesecake in uh, Kroger stores, including all over the Golden Triangle. So like, if you're headed in for a ball game or come football season, you're going to tailgate, drive on into town, go to Kroger, pick up a cheesecake, take it out to the uh, tailgate with you be a good way to do it, or stop in and see them if you're headed through West Point right on Highway 45. All right, Brett, here's the question. I got a text from a buddy and uh, while we were recording here, and he said, is this team just better, or does he coach better than his predecessors? This is obviously in regards to state. Yeah. How do you and, answer that? And Lamonis. Yeah. Um, I, I think this roster is just better. And and I'm not trying to trying to downplay the impact of of the coaching staff. And if you go through the roster, you can pretty well portray the impact of the coaching staff in Jared Liebelt, um, and 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 all these newcomers in the bullpen. Skelton, Skelton for sure with with Kyle Cheesebro, uh, with all these newcomers in in the bullpen, um. They've they've definitely done a, a good job in, in that guard. And they stuck with Rowdy Jordan. They stuck with Tanner Allen in in these slumps. And they've done a good job of staying with the hot hand. Brad Cumbus got himself up to 44 at bats on the year when when he was hot. Josh Hatcher's up to 64 because he went hot. Mm-hmm. Gunnar Halter's been in the lineup a ton recently because he's been hitting the ball really well. So they've they've managed their part of of this equation pretty well but but i also think there's a lot about this roster that'd be real real tough to mess up yeah you know and 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 they also deserve a lot of credit in the arguably one of the biggest moves they made of the year was moving justin foskey to second base yeah and trying to figure out what they're going to do at third base beyond that because that that completely changed the course of the season from a defensive standpoint you you could argue that move reestablished national championship hopes for this team because yes i mean and and even at the time i cautioned against a full on meltdown but i also recognized that if the quality of defense from that lsu weekend continued throughout the entire season they were not going to to be a national championship caliber team just cuz it would cost them too many runs at some point during the year. Now, I, at the time, I didn't think that defense would continue at that level, and 
it, it obviously hasn't because of the, the change that the coaching staff made to put Foscue at second. Uh, but I still think the answer is this roster is just yeah. – it is loaded to a point that it's really – it's loaded and it's experienced and it's entrenched. There is so much about this roster that you already knew what you were going to do. Like there was never a question what you were going to do in the outfield. There was never a question what you were going to do yeah. Friday night starter. Uh, several bullpen roles had incumbent – not incumbent but favorites to be – where they were. Uh, there was just so much about this roster that was not easy. I'm not going to say that what they do is easy, but it didn't require a ton of critical thinking. Yeah. I guess is the best way to to put it. No, that makes total sense. I, 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 I do think this team is better than previous teams. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of like shocking to hear yourself say that because then all of a sudden these names start popping up in your head like Rooker and like, um, well, I'm drawing a blank, you know, Dakota Hudson, you go back to when he was your, your ace out there throwing 96 mm-hmm. on Friday nights and throwing a 92 mile an hour cutter that nobody could touch, you know, and throwing four pitches and all this kind of stuff. But I think you're right. You know, when you, when you round it all out, one, two, three, four guys doesn't make your team, but nine in the lineup and three deep on the weekend starting and a deep bullpen all, you know, throwing strikes. And, and so I, I just think it's both. I, I kind of I text him back, and my text back to him said, a better offensive team, one through nine, better pitching depth. But, yes, I think they're coached a little better. And I, and I noted that something I've told you before, Brett, Lamonis has had this year this flexibility to make the move, and it always seemed to be the right move at the right time. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of coaching also. You know, rigidity in coaching is an awful, awful trait. So then I would say then flexibility being the opposite of that is a very good trait. Well, he's put it on display a bunch this year. He has um he has really tweaked and nudged and and made changes with that DH spot and it always seems to be the right thing. You know, he runs Luke Hancock off the bench in there to pinch hit for Brad Cumbust to put a lefty at the plate and Hancock is the right choice because what do you do? He singles through the left side and drives two runs in, a freshman who hadn't played a lick all weekend long. Yeah. You know, he makes these moves. And then in the middle of the year, this flexibility to go, okay, we got to put Foscue over at second base. You know, and we're going to go to um, – uh, um, you know, we're going to go to this almost quasi-competition <laughs> in the middle of the year over at third base, and here is Marshall Gilbert elevating because of that competition at third base. That's exactly what it is. You know, and and so I, I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of coaches who wouldn't do that. Number one, there's a lot of coaches who've coached at state who wouldn't do that. Who are like, you know, well, we're gonna we're gonna play through it out there at second base. And I don't know how that plays out. The other thing is, too, there are a lot of coaches who would come into a situation and be like, 
man, this is my first year at Mississippi State. This is a team where all the politi- all the positions coming into the year are pretty much locked down, including third base. I'm not going to be the one to step out here and move Foscu. But this ability to be flexible and do what it takes, I'm really impressed with that. So I think they're better all the way around. No, I think that's that's a good way of, of putting it. And it's it's also kind of high stakes for him to do it this way because when you look at this lineup and, and the field as a whole, there are really only two spots that could separate, and technically three, but really two that separate this lineup from being impossible all the way through. Because mm. uh, you're, you're good in left, center, right, first, second, short, catcher. So really the only quote-unquote question marks are third base, DH, and then and kind of a fallout from that is your pinch hits. And, and I want to give Archibald Gilbert his, his fair share of credit. We'll talk to him after we'll talk about him after uh, I get through with this point and what he did in the Ole Miss series. I, um, I, I think there's a lot of high leverage for, for Lamonis and crew in making those decisions because those are the, really the only two spots that could be dead ends. Yeah. In, in the lineup, and, and he talked about it after the Sunday game when they put up that nine-run top of the fourth, that this is a team that is so deep in the lineup and they on their on their bench too, and they have that innate ability to just string hits together and go on huge rallies like that that can bury a team and, and win a game with relative ease. They have that ability, but if your lineup isn't good in every single spot, that kind of, that ability goes away when you get some automatic outs in there and you throw yourself into some losing situations that you wouldn't otherwise. And he has so many options. When you look at those bench hitters as right-handers, you can go to Gilbert, you can go to Brad Cumbus, you can go to Gunnar Halter. At lefties, you can have uh, Josh Hatcher or you can have Luke Hancock. You, you have so many choices to make. Yeah. And when you're in his his specific set of circumstances right now and in mid-May with this baseball team that I don't know, there's just there's a lot of ways that you could mess that up. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of this lineup you can't mess up, but this you could. Yeah. You you genuinely could. Like you could have Gunnar Halter's hot right now, but you could have stuck with Brad Cumbus too long and we would have never seen uh Luke, uh, not Luke Hancock. We would have never seen Gunnar Halter hit like this, or Marshall Gilbert, for for that matter. And you can also do the same with the lefties. You could have stuck with Josh Hatcher for too long, and you wouldn't have ever seen Luke Hancock hit like this. So there, there is a lot to be said about that flexibility, like you said it, like rigidity being a, a bad trade and flexibility being being a good one. There's a lot to be said about that flexibility and how it relates to some of the highest leverage positions that he has to deal with as the coach for this team. And he's taken the right approach to the right positions. And it's made this lineup impossible for opposing pitchers every single day. Yeah. Hey, and I want to, I'm going to tee you up on Marshall Gilbert right here. Um, State right now sitting there with the longest winning streak in the sec at five games. Yeah. And everybody's starting to look and see and realize, excuse me, um, starting to realize how hot they have been as a team since that Arkansas series. Obviously, they've turned it on and been really good since then. Mm-hmm. 
this stretch of winning games, consistent, you know, going out here hot as a firecracker since the Arkansas series includes and coincides with the best offensive stretch of the season, hands down, for Marshall Gilbert. It coincides with it. Let me just give you an example of like the last few. This is the this is the only five game stretch of the entire year, this five game winning streak. It's the only five game stretch all year that Gilbert has three multi hit games in a yep. five game stretch. Okay. It is the only uh it's the only four game stretch all year long where he's had multiple hits in two of the four. So he, down there in that nine spot and batting in front of Jake Mangum, not to mention some of the plays he is making in the field. I mean, he's, he's, he's doing a great job. But his bat here over the last two weeks in front of Jake Mangum has been huge and is a huge reason why they're on this five-game win streak. He is, and, and honestly, I think his defense. You mentioned the offensive numbers, and they're they're undeniable. I mean, if you start with the second game of the Texas A and M series, he was batting two seventy seven. Now he's hitting three oh eight, and and that two seventy seven was on a sample size of something like sixty five at bats, give or take. Uh, so it wasn't a it wasn't a huge sample, but it wasn't unnecessarily small either. And then he goes from two seventy seven to three oh eight. And in the course of one, two, three, six games, mm-hmm. um, so his offense has been a has played has played a pretty significant role. But I think the defense too, his arm at third base, I think he's far and away mm-hmm. the best option there, and, and that's what you need at third base. Yeah, you'd like to have a guy that can, like a Matt Chapman that can make those diving catches down the line, get up, and still make that throw, but. Third base is a position where you need the arm. I mean, it, it is a corner position, after all. That's one of your positions where you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of defense to to get some hitting. Uh, but he at least has the arm that you don't sacrifice that. And that's that's big. He made a lot of big throws over the course of, of the weekend to get crucial outs for for a pitching staff that, that needed him to hold Ole Miss to what was the total? Um, Ten runs? Mm-hmm. over these three games so it was what a 21 yeah 21 to 10 aggregate score for for the weekend and and Marshall Gilbert played a big role in that on both sides his his arm really flashed a few times in in that game and it in that series and it's it's really growth mm-hmm. for for him because and Lamona said it after one of the games I can't remember as recently as three weeks ago he was a full-time catcher now he was he was that guy that practiced positional flexibility. He would take grounders in in BP and to do it at third specifically. So he wasn't he wasn't someone who had no other option. Like I think I think Luke Hancock is seen exclusively as a catcher. Marshall mm-hmm. Gilbert wasn't necessarily that guy, but he also wasn't. Uh, what's the word? I, I, he wasn't he wasn't seen as an option there. I guess right. he was someone who kind of kept the skill loose, right. but he wasn't someone who was consistently in the conversations as someone who could play third base. But he he really prioritized that over the last month or so and, and got himself to a point where 
He's a serviceable third baseman that earns him the at bats that he needs to figure out whatever he needs to figure out with his swing and hit like this. He's, he's someone that is kind of under the radar important when, when Jake Mangum continues to do Jake Mangum things against Ole Miss and Tanner Allen has one of his feast weekends and, and the pitching as good as it was, Marshall Gilbert is one that can kind of slide under the radar and, and he shouldn't because again, to go back to the previous conversation, the two spots in this lineup right now where you can mess it up are third base and DH and, and Marshall Gilbert is making it where you can't mess up third base right now. Right. I'm just sitting here looking at these numbers and, and it is such a spark. It's, it's like it maybe has taken a little bit, but with him settling in there, I mean, it's been a really big deal because in this five game stretch win streak, which dates back to, you know, winning the series in the third game against A&M. Combining these five games in their win streak, he is 6 of 13. That's 461. He's scored five runs, has driven in four runs, has two doubles, a home run. And in the game, one of the games mixed in there where he didn't record a hit, it was game two against Ole Miss when they walked him twice. Yep. And hit, and hit him, him with two pitches. And hit him twice. So – he was 0 for 0 in that game. He he was on base four times with two walks and two HBPs and scored a run. So he's been huge for them in that stretch. I mean, he really has. Yeah, he, he's he's been the guy that's uh, more or less changed the lineup, right? Uh-huh. Because yep. he happens to fit into one of those uh one of those two positions that Mississippi State needs to have an answer for, and and he's he's satisfied with that. So I, I just wanted to give him his due because it's not it's not often that that a guy that hits with an arm at third base without the the web gym plays at third can have an impact on on a weekend series like Marshall did this weekend but he he deserves the he deserves the credit there it's it's undeniable and it was he was part of what was a, a good weekend for Mississippi State again weekend sweep 42 and 10 18 and 9 in the SEC they've already reached that 18 win mark that I set out for them um, at the beginning of the SEC season, and they still have three games left against uh, one of the one of the worst teams in in the SEC. Uh, so we'll we'll dive into the the SEC standings going into the final weekend when we podcast again. I guess we'll have to record that Wednesday morning since it's a Thursday, Thursday. Friday, Saturday series. But we'll dive into that and what the the final weekend means for. Hoover in the SEC tournament when we podcast again later in the week, but they're they're eighteen and nine, and their final weekend series is against one of three teams that are having to battle it out for that final spot in Hoover because Missouri's ineligible, right? So they won't go. Hmm. That's right. That's my understanding. So then you've got three teams at seven and twenty, which are Alabama, South Carolina, and Kentucky. You got three teams battling it out for mm. well two spots technically so you got three teams battling out for two spots in the SEC tournament uh at the bottom of the barrel in the SEC South Carolina's one of them and South Carolina's a team coming to to Duty Noble Field to to wrap this thing up so they've already hit that elite 18 win mark and and they've got three really promising opportunities to add to it well and you know, it can be dangerous sometimes. You get a team that is got some immediacy like South Carolina will have. There, some yeah. The immediacy of 
we've got to win some games here or we're getting left out of the conference tournament. But, I mean, that can go either way, frankly. It can go back and forth. You just never know. And, and, and this is the fact is, if again, if State is just themselves, kind of where we started, if State just goes out and is who they are, then they're going to win the series. It's just a matter of it's just a matter of when and how. So, good deal, yep. good deal. Marshall Gilbert. We didn't even talk about Plumley. I mean, how good was he on Sunday? Oh, he was he was fantastic. He should have gotten that eighth inning. It's it's a crying shame that he got some yeah. some bad luck there there at the end that uh, that altered his pitching line because of the inherited runners and and all that. He ended the game at seven and two thirds, five runs allowed, four earned. But if all went his fav- in his favor just for the final out of that eighth inning. It probably would have been, what, eight innings, three runs allowed, two yeah. earned? Mm-hmm. That is what it probably should have been, and probably two fewer hits, and et cetera, et cetera. His, his ERA, after that start, and here's where here's where you got to have some context to, to numbers, his ERA increased by almost two-tenths of a run after that start in which he should have gotten state through eight innings of a sweep day mm-hmm. on the road at your rival. That, that was just incredibly unkind uh, <laughs> to Peyton, but he was awesome. And I thought one of the sneaky important factors in the weekend, and it didn't ultimately matter because Peyton Plumley did what he did. But I think one of the sneaky big factors of the weekend was JT Ginn fighting through four and two thirds. Mm in his start on Saturday because the way the first inning went for him, I'm up in the press box thinking, oh, he's going to get pulled in the second and and State's going to have to burn a bullpen arm, maybe two, mm-hmm. just to cover those bulk innings, um, just to bulk, just to cover the nine games in that, in, in nine innings in that game. And then they're going to have fewer mm-hmm. options for what could be a rubber match on Sunday. But instead, JT Gang grinds through it. He gets through four and two-thirds, and it allows State to go inning by inning, out by out, and just kind of piece that game together and keep a bunch of guys available. And I thought that was really important. Now, it ultimately didn't matter because Peyton Plumley put on a Superman cape for <laughs> for a few hours on, on Sunday. But I still thought that was important for, for JT Gang because he didn't know that Peyton Plumley was going to throw 116 pitches the next day as he was grinding out that four and two thirds. Yeah. You know, the fact is Ginn was a big time beneficiary of the, the interference call out at second base. Yes, he was because that was a bad call. That was the wrong call as, but it apparently is something you can't review. And, you know, that might be something that you look for them to throw into the reviewable process going forward. After an incident like that, you know, it's just something to keep an eye on. But anyway, you know, State was a beneficiary there because more runs score if that call isn't made and it was the wrong call. But sometimes it happens in baseball. You get out of it. And the big thing about that in that second game was that State came back and started getting going and late did what they've done this year, and that is late in games even when they're trailing, which they were. Or I guess, you know, they managed to – and they were, they were, they were trailing four two. They had that huge seventh inning, and offensively, you kind of pick everybody up. And the forgotten story of that Saturday, you're right, was again just kind of grinding through it. Still had the five strikeouts in the four and two thirds, and then everybody that came in out of the pen. Barlow was really good out of the pen. Only threw a third of that inning there, 
Uh, self did his job. He got hit some, but he did his job. And when they got it all the way in there to Brandon Smith and Colby White late in that game, Colby yep. White was fantastic. Um, he threw the one inning and struck out three. And <laughs> it was three strikeouts on 14 pitches. He threw 14 pitches, 11 strikes, struck out three guys. They could not touch him. His fastball was live, and he was mixing in a changeup and just made him look silly. Um, so he was really good. And in that Saturday game, Brett, here was a stat, and I tweeted it. It was kind of interesting to me. That pitching staff, seven different pitchers on the mound, six out of the pen after Ginn, and as a group, they struck out 12. They got 13 ground ball outs, two ground ball double plays, and one fly ball out the entire ball game. Now, isn't that odd? That's wild. Isn't that wild? One fly ball out the entire game with seven different pitchers on the mound. It's just incredible. That's that's rare for yeah. sure, but it's also indicative of the uh of the pitching performance. So so my my last note, and I wanted to to touch on this. Well, actually two quickly. You mentioned Colby White was awesome and has been awesome all year. He's appeared in twenty two games. He's gone hitless in twelve of them. Is that has right? not allowed a hit in 12 of his 22 appearances. That seems uh, fantastic. And for, for those that didn't see the news, Elijah McNamee, um, just, just in case you're not on Twitter, which I'm sure we have some listeners that, that aren't, uh, Elijah McNamee was pulled from that game, that Sunday game, uh, sliding into second on a double. The, the foot that's been bothering him, at least since the Governor's Cup game, if not a little bit before that, um, it, he tweaked it again. Um, Lamona said they hope it's not anything serious and he'll be, he'll be back soon. But I also wouldn't be surprised to see a little workload management for, for him this week, considering they've likely lo- locked up a, uh, a top eight national seed and, and they need him at, at his typical postseason form, uh, yeah. for, for the regional and the super regional and potentially Omaha. So he, Lamona didn't say anything post game. Sunday that makes you believe it's serious with McNamee, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they take the the cautious route with him for the final week of the of the regular season. But that's that's to be determined with what they do with that midweek game against Louisiana Tech Tuesday. Okay, and to some of the folks listening, apologies on the train coming through here this, next to the studio and blaring while Brett was talking about that. But uh, <laughs> but Brett, the overall idea is that for right now. Nothing to indicate that it's terribly serious, but something that he could rehab and make sure he's ready for the postseason, right? Something, something he can play through. I mean, he's yeah. been playing through it, uh, painful, painful as it is. He's been playing through it, so the hope is that he can get the the pain back down to what it was that he was playing through to the point that he can continue playing through it, and, and maybe even lower than that, so he can be better going into the the postseason that's the hope they'll probably find out something like that be it uh today monday or or tuesday before they play that midweek game with louisiana tech good stuff brett great job as always great coverage this weekend uh if you're listening to the podcast you haven't already check out brett's writing at mattwyattmedia.com easy enough to remember mattwyattmedia.com and go to the blog page you'll find the stuff that uh, brett writes there so uh, make sure you check that out and also over on the Facebook page. Biggest thing, follow him on Twitter, Brett underscore Hudson. 
Everything is always linked there. So follow Brett if you don't already. You'll get all those uh, links. And we appreciate you listening to Dogpile. For Brett Hudson, I'm Matt Wyatt. We'll see you on the next one. See you.